Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to the Monday Match Analysis Podcast. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is a roundup of post-match analyses from the first two days of the 2020 NITO ATP Finals. So I, I know I've done this before. This is podcast exclusive on audio platforms only. I will use this time to say that it is greatly appreciated if you leave a rating and a review. But essentially, and I will put the timestamps in the description, the first four matches, both groups, so now everyone has played once. Uh, I have four breakdowns that I've put up on YouTube. This will basically just uh, be those four breakdowns in succession if you're someone who uh, consumes my content on this platform. Or if you just miss some of them on YouTube and you have some time, check the description, click the timestamps, and listen to the ones that you haven't gotten to. Uh, so again, four post-match breakdowns coming your way right now. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here. Post-match Dominic Team versus Stefanos Tsitsipas. 2020 ATP Finals Group Stage Day 1. In a rematch of last year's final, the result is reversed. Dominic Team takes it over Stefanos Tsitsipas in three sets, 7-6, 4-6-6-3. I think both players should be pretty content with the level that they reached on the court today. Uh, Tsitsipas really could have won because he, he could have easily won this first set. The margins throughout the match were razor thin. There were only two breaks of serve throughout. And I'll get into the first set. But Tsitsipas could have won that one very, very easily in that tie break. If a couple of points, crucial points, went his way. And then the second set, he played an immaculate, a gorgeous set. And then I will say this. The Dominic team that we saw in set number three was far different than the Dominic team we saw in the first two sets. I thought he did a wonderful job of, of playing himself into this match feeling out his opponent. And at the start, it was a very disciplined version of Dominic Team. He was very uh he was very within himself, a little bit like he was holding back. The result was a very consistent player, and he was really forcing Tsitsipas to make a lot happen uh on his terms. And in the first set, it worked. But in the second set, when the Greek raised his level, you know, the, the, the result was obviously Tsitsipas won the set fairly easily because Dominic Team never really got into a uh, into a Tsitsipas service game. In the third set, 
team really flipped a switch. He felt his opponent on the other side of the net. He knew he needed to do more, uh, inject inject more energy into his ground strokes, uh, take more risk, especially on return games. And he needed to, even if it came at the cost of errors, he needed to make Tsitsipas feel more uncomfortable. And he needed to impose his will a little bit more than he was in the first two sets. And Dominic Team did that. Now it did come it did come at the expense of errors. It always will. Whenever you go for more, whenever you raise the aggression, and sometimes even in Dominic Team's case, when you raise the intensity in your ground strokes, you're often gonna miss more. And I've become very accustomed to Dominic Team when he's playing his normal ultra-aggressive attacking brand of tennis, which he brings to the court on a regular basis, I've become very accustomed to team having games here or there where he makes a cluster of errors, whether it be on the forehand or the backhand. Sometimes Dominic team just has a service game where he makes, you know, two, four unforced errors and he drops the game. And that's just a byproduct of sometimes the aggression that he plays with. And that game did come. Before I get to the the first set and the second set, I just want to fast forward to the third set. And the turning point in this tennis match was when Dominic Thiem had a break in hand. He was up 3-1. He was playing really aggressive tennis at this point. And the game that I'm talking about, that loose game that often comes from Dominic Thiem when he's playing his style of tennis, it came. At at 3-1, he made a lot of errors in this game. It was a very long deuce game. And what what ended up happening is his serve bailed him out. His spot serving bailed him out. He was inhuman from the deuce side. And Tsitsipas kept winning that, that add-in point. Uh, and he did have a, a break point at, at 30-40 here. And let's see, did he have one? No, he, he didn't have one after deuce. But first deuce point, team hits a service winner. Deuce number three, team hits an ace out wide. Deuce number four, team hits an ace out wide in the same spot. Deuce number five, team goes down the tee this time, hits his spot. Tsitsipas hits a stretch return. Team's able to attack it and finish with an overhead. Deuce number six... Team hits an ace out wide. At this point, Steph is literally laughing because Dominic Team keeps keeps putting the first serve exactly where he wants to put it, and that's going to be a problem if you're if you're a returner on a court as fast as as this one. Finally, on add in after six deuces, Tsitsipas mishits a backhand return off of a first serve. It sails long, and Team has that hold to go up four one. That was Tsitsipas's best chance at getting the break back. And that was a game where team hit, it felt like he hit, you know, three, four, maybe five unforced errors. A lot of them were off the first ball when team kept trying to go down the line on his backhand and he kept missing the same shot over and over again on add in. And it must have been very frustrating for Dominic team, but the serve bailed him out. So that's kind of how I saw the turning point. I saw Dominic team really look to impose his will and up the aggression. It's going to come at the expense of errors. It did, but when it did, the serve bailed him out. 
Now, if you rewind to the first set, because maybe Tsitsipas could have won this in two if this first set uh, went a little bit differently. Again, this was this was a set where team was very steady. It was almost like he was just trying to feel the ball and work his way into the match. And Tsitsipas at times was erratic and made some errors. He did so at one all. He did so at three all. Both those games got complicated on Tsitsipas's serve. And on both occasions, Tsitsipas did not lose any kind of co- any of his confidence. He was not shaken. He was not rattled. He never got passive. And he played fearless first strike tennis, which he often does when his back is against the wall on serve. And he and he saved those break points admirably. And he got out of those pickles and he held serve. His return was not good enough throughout this first set to put any pressure on the Dominic team serve. That was the case in the third set as well for the most part. Um, and this one goes to a tie break. Team was the better player throughout. But it's Tsitsipas who went up the mini break and the tie break. I think for the first time, Dominic team overhit a forehand at one all in this first set tie break. Um, and Tsitsipas at 5-3 had a chance to win this point and go up 6-3. He was serving at 5-3. And what have I, what do I say all the time? When Stefano Tsitsipas has a low backhand inside the service box, basically when he tracks down either a drop shot or a drop volley, he will punch it deep down the line 90% of the time. And team hit a angle drop volley that was meh, mediocre. Tsitsipas got there in plenty of time. It the drop volley was was so was I don't want to say so bad because it wasn't brutal. But team knew it was mediocre, so he actually retreated to the baseline. Tsitsipas punched it deep down the line. Team was ready for it. The cross-court pass on the forehand was open for Dominic Team, and there goes the mini-break, just like that. So, cat and mouse, I think one of those patterns that I'd like to see Tsitsipas get better at and add some variation with that continental grip backhand. He could have hit over it. He probably had time to hit over it, but even if he didn't, too predictable. Not good enough. Um, and that was the mini-break. So now we were back on serve, and at 5-6... Set point for team, Tsitsipas serving. Steph hits a really good first serve. He has a sitter on top of the net, and he doesn't put it away. And team is able to block it back on the forehand and ultimately win the point. It should have been a very, very easy put away. Tsitsipas probably could have hit it as a smash instead of a forehand, but... Even if he hit it as a forehand, he could have hit it harder. He could have placed it better. He could have done anything other than what he did. He doesn't put it away. And with the margins that thin, that was the first set to Dominic Team. Although he was kind of the better player throughout. I think he did He did create a lot more chances on return than Tsitsipas. But still, Stefanos almost stole that first set. The safe kind of steady Dominic team where it felt like he was holding back 20% of what he can do, that continued over to the second set. And in the second set, Tsitsipas really made him play, uh, pay rather. Immaculate second set by Tsitsipas. 
So few errors, such clean tennis, unbelievable transition game. Tsitsipas found so much success attacking the net on Dominic Team, playing first strike tennis, playing big with his forehand, uh, spotless off the backhand. It was such a good solid set. And Tsitsipas won at 6-4. And then in the third set, as I said, it was a really good job by Team raising his level. A couple of points on this uh, before I wrap it up. Tsitsipas at times is still not returning well enough to apply serious pressure on uh, his opponent's serve. And I really think that could change his entire game. Because the more I watch Tsitsipas play even in a match like this, I just think he's so good on serve. He's so hard to break. He continues to be so hard to break. But if he can just return better, it would completely shift the pressure dynamic. In the second set, he returned a little bit better, and I don't have return in play stats. If, if anyone has those, if anyone knows where to find, uh, let me know, because this tournament doesn't have an official app. Um, a, the ATP official website doesn't give me percent return in play or average first serve speed, average second serve speed, uh, rallies, uh, rally length stats. They don't give me that either. I got to say, the, the stats that the basic stats in tennis— I'm really digressing here on a tangent. The basic stats in tennis are completely insufficient. They are not the stats that tell the full story. So some of the stats that I just mentioned, I would love to see, but I can't see them because I, I, don't, I don't see them. Anyway, if anyone knows where to get those, let me know in the comments. Anyway, he, he's still not returning well enough to apply serious pressure. The second point, Dominic Team. Heavy ground strokes to the Tsitsipas backhand really was paying dividends. The backhand defense by Tsitsipas versus the backhand defense uh, that Dominic Team has developed. There's a difference there. There's a pretty big difference. And I think with both players so good hitting big, heavy ground strokes behind their serves, especially on the forehand side, and being able to really pound the backhand corner, um, off of that pattern early and aggressive in the rallies. I think that that becomes a really big deal is who's able to get back to neutral when their backhands are attacked. And I don't think Tsitsipas can really get back to neutral. Not nearly as often as Dominic Team is able to get back to neutral. But the funny thing is, when Team was 22 years old, I thought he was very similar to, to where Tsitsipas is with his backhand defense. Tsitsipas, he's still not too strong, open stance, trying to hit over the backhand. That's kind of a low percentage, kind of stabby. He doesn't have great control of the racket head. Takes a lot of forehand uh, forearm strength. Takes a lot of core strength. And Dominic Team is miles better in that. And then even when you get to the backhand slice, Team is a lot better than Tsitsipas in that category. So just watching these two on the court, a battle of one-handed backhands, two guys who hit unbelievable, the best, some of the best forehands in tennis, serving really well, great spot serving by both at times, uh, overwhelming offense. Who was able to turn around these points and get back to neutral? I thought for the most part, it was Dominic Team, especially in his backhand corner, but it comes with the caveat. I think when Team was Tsitsipas' age, he was the same player. 
and team is just developed that part of his game. So I think that that was uh, interesting to see. Post-match, Rafael Nadal versus Andre Rublev. 2020 ATP Finals Day 1 Group Stage. Rafael Nadal rolled in this one. 6-3, 6-4 in under an hour, 20 minutes. The scoreline probably doesn't do this match justice because it was one-way traffic the whole way and it never felt like Rafael Nadal was in any kind of danger. The match never felt even. The scales were always tipped towards the Spaniard at all times. One of the main things that I that I continue to be really curious about in this year's Nitto ATP Finals, one of the main storylines that has me most interested and most intrigued is how will Andre Rublev respond to the elite competition? Because the reality of, of Andre Rublev's season has been the sample size is very small for Rublev against elite competition. And coming into this match, he was 3-3 three and three versus players... In the top 10. Um, 48 and, or excuse me, 40 and 8 on the season. Against players in the top 10. 2 and 0 in best of 3. 1 and 3 in best of 5. So the sample size is really, really strong, uh, is really small when it comes to Rublev against elite competition, top 10 competition. And in, in the case of Rafa Nadal, Rublev hadn't played Nadal since the 2017 U.S. Open. It was the first tournament that I had ever heard of Andre Rublev where he went. He That was either in the round of 16 or the quarters. But Rafa Nadal absolutely wiped the floor with Rublev. Rublev is a way better player now. That goes without saying. But I've been very, very curious to see how Rublev was going to respond. And this is a pretty bad start for him, but... I would be absolutely shocked if Stefanos Tsitsipas and Dominic Thiem don't get a much better version of Andre Rublev than Rafael Nadal got tonight. This was as bad as I've seen Rublev play in quite a while. He was not there. He was not with it. It was not the Andre Rublev that, that I know. Now, what can we take from Nadal's side of things? Not as much as you would like, because Rublev didn't really play well enough to, to test Nadal's level. But there was this. Nadal had a superlative serving performance. He was unbelievable on serve. And especially early in the first set, I think it was a big reason why Rublev never got comfortable in this match. Never felt like he was in it because Nadal really jumped on him from the start, making all of his first serves and hitting it big and hitting his spots. The serving is legit right now. So that's what he's going to need indoors to make this happen. He's going to need to serve well, and Nadal really is. I saw him hit a serve 128 into the body. I saw him routinely hit low to mid 120s, a lot of 123, some 124, and even some 125. So Nadal was really serving big, and that was the main thing that I can take from Nadal, and that's something to watch. That was very, very clear, and Rublev didn't have much success at all on the return. Let me see the stats here. 
Uh, first serve points won, Nadal won 82%. Second serve, Nadal won 67%. But Nadal hit 72% first serves in play. And I would say on the aggression scale, it was like an uh, probably a 9 out of 10 for Nadal in how much he was going for on his first serve. So to be o- over 70% was spectacular if you are Rafael Nadal. I don't know what I don't really know what it was for for Rublev. I don't have much of an explanation other than uh, he was uncomfortable. He was very uncomfortable. I've seen it before. I've seen it before when when players play Nadal for the first time. I think oftentimes, sometimes sometimes you just see players feel really uncomfortable when they play Nadal the first time. You can uh, look at Stefanos Tsitsipas when he first played Nadal in Barcelona. Daniil Medvedev, when he first played Nadal, or sorry, it's the second time for Rublev, but when players are not experienced playing Nadal, Daniil Medvedev has struggled. Stefano Tsitsipas has struggled in their early meetings against Nadal. There are exceptions. Denis Shapovalov beat Nadal the first time they played. Alexander Zverev went three sets at Indian Wells the first time they played. But I don't know what it, but you know, it, maybe it's the bounce, it's the heavy topspin, the violent hop off the court, even on a low bouncing hard court. Maybe that was it. But I think more, more than that was Andre Rublev was pressing and he, he shrunk a little bit here. Now I, I consider him to have a, a great mental game, but I think he was, the, the lights were a little bit bright here. When I think, when I say Rublev has a great mental game, that doesn't mean I've seen him perform unbelievably on the big stage. That means I love his mental game when he's in the trenches, you know, against a player who he knows he can beat, he's confident against. And, you know, when, when basically when he, when he's confident against his opponent and he's in a familiar situation when he's in the final of an ATP 500, the way he competes that's the reason I hold his mental game at a high esteem. Uh, but his his results in majors against elite players aren't great as of uh, so far. And uh, he wasn't very good in this one, of course. His backhand defense was exploited against Nadal's uh, angle forehands, take, pulling Rublev off the court. Forcing Rublev to take uh, his left hand off the racket and going to the slice. And that is just, sometimes that is ugly. Ugly. Another thing that Nadal did was put pressure on the Rublev second serve. Rublev was not making first serves, especially in the first set. Early in the second set as well, the first serve percentage was really, really low. So what Nadal did was, and this was, I'm sure, something that he discussed with his team and his coaches beforehand, was he moved up and took the second serve inside the baseline. And in the beginning, it didn't really work. It didn't. Rublev wasn't making any first serves, and he held he held serve in his first couple service games before finally being broken, uh, or, or in his first game, he was ultimately broken at the, what was it? The... 2-3 game. So Rublev held serve twice, and then at 2-3, they play this big, long game. Mind you, Rublev isn't making any first serves. 
So it's not like the in the beginning, the second serve return strategy from Nadal. It was aggressive, but there were a couple issues with it. If he didn't make the return good, Rublev, Rublev was very good at counterattacking Nadal's return position. And Nadal would have had to retreat and recover at that point, or he did need to. So there were there were a couple times where Nadal just didn't hit it well enough to make it an effective strategy, and then he just wasn't in good enough position for the next ball. Uh, he also missed quite a bit, missed quite a bit here. It's not a natural or a comfortable shot. However, he wound up um, he wound up getting used to it, and I think towards the end of the first set, it became a positive strategy for Nadal. And just to give Rublev a different look probably added to the discomfort that Andre felt on the other side of the net. So ultimately, I thought it was good that Nadal tried it. I think it was a positive tactic. I think ultimately it worked. I don't think it was the reason why Nadal broke serve. I don't think it was some kind of diabolical success by by any stretch. I don't think the numbers back that up either because uh, Nadal wasn't dominant on Rublev's second serve. Let's see, second serve points one. Um, in set one, Rublev won 56%. So like, that's kind of where you'd expect him to be. So I don't think it was some wildly successful strategy, but as the match went on, I think it got more and more successful as Nadal got used to taking the early return, something that I, I just, I just think it's a more uncomfortable return for him. And then in the second set, um, Rublev was 0 for 6 on second serve points one. And there were a couple instances that I remember quite vividly where Nadal actually just hit winner straight away off the second serve return. So that's a good job by Nadal, recognizing the Rublev weakness, the underpowered second serve, and imposing his will and doing a little bit extra on that shot, giving him a different look. Sometimes he was able to back up and have success there. Just kind of keeping Rublev on his toes was a really good job by Nadal. And it worked wonders. Let's see. Is there anything else to go over here? I do not think so. So, oh, ultimately, Rublev actually got into a really good service uh, rhythm. By the end of the second set, Rublev was holding quick. Ace, 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 service winner. Beautiful serving. It was too late. The match was already over. Uh, Rublev hit eight aces. I think six of them was prob were probably in his last three service games in the second set. So that was kind of interesting, something to note, something to keep an eye on. Ultimately, this was not competitive, uh, a disappointing performance by Rublev. Nadal, great serving. Let's look out for that, but we didn't really learn much ultimately about his level. Post-match Novak Djokovic versus Diego Schwartzman, 2020 ATP Finals, round robin stage, day two. Routine victory. For the world number one, Novak Djokovic over Schwartzman, 6-3, 6-2, no sweat. Uh, welcome to the ATP Finals, Diego Schwartzman. He makes his debut at this event and is welcomed by an unreal performance by Novak Djokovic. It was really, really solid. It was some of the best tennis I've seen from Novak since the ATP pause, since the lockdown period. Uh, and I, I've always felt that he's come back from that and not looked quite as sharp as he did in the, uh, you know, where he left off before Indian Wells and, and the pandemic. But this was a really good performance. I was impressed. Now, of course, Schwartzman does not have a big enough game to really make Novak feel 
all that uncomfortable. And that could have played into why Djokovic looked so comfortable and controlled and uh, relaxed on the court and why he, he was so, you know, near flawless in, in this performance. Uh, maybe that has a lot to do with it. So, of course, you, you hold out, and I'm not making any declaration about Novak for the rest of the tournament, but I really, this is this was one of the best matches I've seen from him post-ATP pause. I wasn't disappointed in Schwartzman's level like I was in Rublev's level when he played Nadal. And yes, these were similar matches. Both were were routine victories, but I felt that Schwartzman played a lot closer to his base level than than Rublev. So I wasn't really disappointed in, in Rublev. I just think Djokovic played very, very close to his best. And we all know in this matchup, it's not going to go well for, for Diego if Novak plays close to his best. Two keys to this. One is the control that Novak had uh, with his ground strokes, which really enabled him to control. Um, I'm, I know I'm, I'm using that word twice, but basically he was able to dictate all the patterns. And more specifically, he was able to make Schwartzman hit running forehands, which I think is something that Djokovic was really targeting. I think he wanted to attack the forehand side and to stretch Diego out on his forehand side because I think he feels that that is where he can draw the errors and draw the short balls. And what Diego will do is he will offer some resistance there. Uh, he will trade his forehand down the line in hopes that he'll get a backhand cross court and then he can go backhand to backhand. Diego always wants backhand to backhand because it's a more advantageous cross court rally than his forehand to forehand. But Djokovic went down the line with his backhand so often, so early and often in this match um, with such consistency and such precision that he really didn't let Schwartzman have his nice backhand to backhand rallies. Novak would change. He, he would change and he would do so very, very effectively. Not to mention, I was very impressed with Djokovic's cross-court angle forehand. I thought he got a great feel for that shot in this match and was really painting that left sideline, whether it be from the middle of the court or uh, when the angle was opened up uh, for Djokovic hitting his forehand from the deuce side of the court. So both of those things combined, I thought he, he really made Schwartzman hit a lot of running forehands, which is normally a shot that, again, will result in more short balls when you contrast it with his double-handed backhand, which Schwartzman just, he's, he gets so much depth on his backhand. Who does it remind you of? Djokovic, right? Uh, so the short balls will come from his forehand. And Novak, he just could put the ball wherever he wanted here and just controlled the baseline rallies masterfully and, and got the better of them more often than not which compounded the problem for Schwartzman because Diego was getting way outplayed on the second serve. There was a huge contrast in second serve effectiveness between Schwartzman and Djokovic when Diego was, was having to hit second serves himself. Novak was eating it up, eating it up. And it might not jump off the screen because... It's not that, that Novak was hitting return winners left and right. It wasn't like that. But it was it was controlled, low risk, yet punishing, deep, 
second serve returns from Novak on a very, very consistent basis. He was rarely missing them. And the result is Schwartzman was 7 for 20 on second serves. His first serve percentage, Diego's, is sometimes higher than it was in this match. It was at 62%. Sometimes he's able to serve at a higher percentage just because he's not very aggressive on his first serve in the first place. In this case, he wasn't. He was forced to hit a good amount of second serves, and Novak was eating them for breakfast. He was. On the other side, when Novak had to hit second serves, this is an area where Djokovic has struggled at times after the the lockdown. Since coming back, there have been matches where Novak has struggled to gauge how aggressive he wants to hit his second serve because he's either double faulting, going for going for a lot, or he's kind of kicking it in and not going for so much, especially uh, Western and Southern Open, at times at the U.S. Open, he struggled with his second serve. This reminded me a lot more of early 2020 Novak Djokovic, where his second serve was routinely in triple digits. Again, I will lament the fact that I do not have uh, his average, and I can't find that that uh, data, that stat anywhere. Uh, but I would guess that maybe it was 102, 103 miles per hour. Excellent. Very healthy. Uh, number for Novak Djokovic. So this was a really good um, performance from Novak. Now the question is, let's see if someone with a bigger game can make him feel more uncomfortable because Diego put balls in the court as he does. He was not uh, brutally inconsistent and I don't think that he played awful and I thought he played some good points, but ultimately because of his kind of because of how hard he needs to work because he has no serve, um, th this was just going to be a really uphill battle. And Novak was never going to feel like the like his racket was taken out of his hands at any point here. So let's see if Djokovic can, can bring this level, can maintain this level, and will look the same against players with bigger games, uh, particularly Zverev. But also Medvedev can do a lot more damage with his serve. And can also uh, be somewhat, at times, more threatening and more awkward on the backhand side. So that's the question moving forward. Post-match, Alexander Zverev versus Daniil Medvedev in the 2020 ATP Finals Group Stage Day 2. For the second time in a week, it is Daniil Medvedev coming through the German, Alexander Zverev, 6-3, 6-2. That was the score, correct? No, 6-3, 6-4. See, it sounded wrong. Um, I think the best way to break down this match is to go chronological because it was a, a bit of a progression. Zverev started on fire. He broke in the first game. He was up 30 love. He looked large and in charge and confident. And then he double faulted. Then he double faulted. And then he double faulted. Then he almost double faulted again on break point. That's, uh, but the second serve barely caught the line. He didn't even think it went in. So his footwork was kind of late on this break point, and he makes a really bad backhand unforced error. So all the good vibes he had created for himself early in the match, he was you know at a negative level right away, Alexander Zverev. Now, the interesting part about the beginning of this match was it was a full-on demonstration 
of both of these players' greatest weaknesses because as Zverev was double faulting, Medvedev was struggling immensely to finish attackable forehands error-free. He was making so many mid errors in the middle of the court with his forehand, uh, sometimes inside the baseline with his mid-court forehand. He just could not make anything happen off that wing. And Zverev was giving him a lot of, you know, floating, uh, low pace balls through the middle of the court, kind of daring Medvedev to make something happen. So, and I thought because Medvedev was missing so often that Zverev got very comfy back there just kind of doing that and, and letting that happen. So it was basically about who was going to figure out this disaster quicker. You know, not to say that they were, that every part of their game was going off the rails, like it wasn't horribly sloppy tennis in all aspects, but again, the weaknesses that these two possess were like on steroids early in this match, and they, it was it was a double fault fest for Zverev, it was a forehand error fest for Medvedev, and it was, okay, who is going to see themselves out of this, work themselves out of this? And, uh... It wound up being Medvedev. At 2-3, Zverev's double-faulting woes continued. And um, he double-faulted from Deuce. First of all, uh, on that out, he had a game point here. And and misses an inside-out forehand that he just kind of... His feet stopped and he should have made that. But anyway, from Deuce, he double-faults twice. Decelerating badly. And let me take a pause just to describe these double faults because there are two kinds of Alexander Zverev double faults. There's a double fault, which happens to everyone and anyone on tour, and you know you move on, and it's not a big deal. And then there's when Zverev slows down his racket to try to hit the second serve, and it results in just a ball that he cannot control as well, and even if it goes in the box, it is weak and attackable, and that's where we were at for Zverev. And I haven't seen that in... In quite a in quite a while, I don't recall when's the last match that I've seen Zverev's second serve look so like this was his mental yips version of his second serve. It wasn't just you know it, sometimes he's going to double fault and everything's okay, but it was very clear here that everything was not okay and that he was having basically a relapse of his troubles in this area. So then at four two. Again, who's going to figure it out first? Medvedev serving at 4-2 in the first set finally kind of gets it going. He makes a, a forehand unforced error on the first point of this game, goes down love 30, but then serve plus one to the open court. Good redirection there. Um, Zverev makes an unforced error to even it, even it up at 30-all, but then the next two points, Medvedev hits uh, a forehand winner from the midcourt, really tucked it inside the sideline, placed it well, kept it low, and it was a winner. Uh, and then on 40-30, he was patient, waited for the angles to open up. So instead of going for a lot from the middle of the court, which Medvedev sometimes really struggles to do on his forehand, he waited for the, the cross-court forehand rally to open up, and then he could redirect his forehand down the line, which is a much better play for him. It's a much better forehand for him because he relies not on his power, but on his ability to redirect and uh, you know to take time away and create angles. So uh, he hits another winner. So boom, forehand clicked, 4-2, first set. Who was going to find it first? It was Medvedev in the first set. 
Then at 5-3, the match begins to shift even more because Medvedev doesn't have to hit any more forehands because his serve is not coming back. He serves out the set 5-3. Service winner up the tee. Service winner at 15-love. That one's Zverev should have returned. Service winner at 30-love. Ace to close it out at 40-love. Zverev holds start of the second set at 15. Um, you know, a good time for for Alexander to kind of reset. Medvedev, service winner, service mi- winner. Zverev missed a return, then an ace. Eight unreturned serves in a row. Start of the next game, he made it nine. That is just a, a great way to demoralize your opponent and sap all of the kind of the momentum that your opponent might feel or the the reset. In this case, it, it wouldn't have been momentum. It would have been the ability to reset at the start of the second set. It does not feel good to play nine return points in a row and not get the serve back. So I felt all the things compounding here. The, maybe the fact that Zverev had lost to Medvedev for the first time last week in Paris. The fact that Zverev was having terrible second serve issues once again. And finally, the fact that Zverev was no longer getting Medvedev served back. I think all three of those things compounded and started to really weigh on him. And I, I, I saw Zverev's footwork get lazier. I saw his intensity dip. And I just thought his work rate went down. In, in the beginning of the match, he was doing a ton of running because I thought he was playing too, too defensively and, and too passively. Um, but he was really running hard and grinding, and I just saw a change in Zverev um, by the by the midway point in the second set. And now Zverev was really um, being outworked and I think outfocused by Medvedev on a point in point out basis. At three all, and Zverev is holding serve here because he's he's making. Uh, he's making first serves, and you know he he fights through a couple of holes. Although Medvedev is getting be- uh, the better of the play at four three, Daniil does perhaps get a little bit lucky. He hits a he hits the net cord on a passing shot. I think the score was fifteen all on that one, and basically it hits Zverev in the body. He couldn't react quick enough to uh, the ball, basically redirecting off the tape. And then on break point. Medvedev shanked a forehand that actually landed in, and it turned into a good moon ball. Uh, then that rally ended in a Zverev missed forehand. And again, I think you could see kind of the either the tired footwork or the lazy footwork, one or the other, from Zverev on that missed forehand. He he didn't really take a step back le- like he could have. Again, uh, if you look at how Medvedev closed this match out at 5-4, um, a service winner at 15 love finds a sitter for forehand at 30 love and uh, finishes with a drop volley. So a great serve there. And then another sitter 40 love flying backhand cross court to finish it off. Medvedev started getting so much payoff off of his serve. Uh, it was not a very good returning um, match from Zverev and especially four three. He had a chance to break back. He was up 15 30 Zverev at four three in this match. Missed backhand return. Medvedev did not hit his spot on this first serve. And Zverev just pushed the backhand return long. Then at 30-all, Medvedev hits an underhand serve. And it's one of the better ones I've seen. Zverev has to 
change to continental grip, kind of dig it up and go to the net. And he makes the first reflex volley. Medvedev um, hits a gets a good look at a second pass, and Zverev shanks the second reflex volley. I love the fact that I'm I'm seeing a wild card factor out of Medvedev again. I'm seeing kind of the craziness, the unpredictability. Medvedev needs that when his game gets too monotonous. Uh, I don't think that he's at his best. I think he needs to. Have a little fun on the court. He needs to be unpredictable. He needs to be a wild card. And that 30-all point was a good example. And you saw some serve volley points in the Paris final, which I loved from Medvedev. And I just felt like we're starting to see the best version of him come out again. At 40-30, add side again. Medvedev hits the same serve. It's out wide. He does not hit his spot. And again, Zverev misses this backhand return long. I highlighted this point in the match because it was probably Zverev's best chance, up 15-30, to get this break back and maybe get back in the match. And his return let him down. Not to say that Medvedev didn't serve well at times here. He served very well for most of the match. But here was a here was a spot where he missed his first serve spots. And Zverev still didn't make these crucial returns. So there you have it, a 6-4 uh, win in the second set for Medvedev. Um... He was, look, this this was a pretty good match for him. He served well. He really focused. And his backhand was tremendous, by the way. I don't want to focus in and rag on his forehand too much because his backhand was great. It was very consistent. His inside-out backhand is, is such a special shot that's, uh, that stays so low. And he was, uh, he was doing well with that shot. But um, he was... The, the match was being played on Medvedev's terms because I just don't think that Zverev was stepping into the court and moving up to the ball well enough. He was waiting for the ball. And, you know, if this is going to be a, a battle of, of who can kind of work the geometry of the court and kind of massage the ball back and forth in different spots, and Medvedev's going to win that 10 out of 10 times. I mean, he was the better player here. He was, uh, he was more focused, and I also think he worked harder and actually just um, played a better match mentally in terms of how engaged he was for every point. And a lot of that was just because of, uh, also because of Zverev's second serve, which I think kind of started eating at him. Again, the Paris result and how well Medvedev started serving. Uh, good start for Daniil. If Alexander is not I mean, he's got to play better than this. I think this was one of Zverev's worst match, matches that I've seen. I think it was the worst match that I've seen him play since the French Open. And he said that to the to the press after the match as well. Uh, he was not good. Uh, his serve has not been this bad since the, since the French. Um, he probably hasn't played a match this passively since his loss to Yannick Sinner at the French. He just was not. He was waiting for the ball to come to him. He was not making that extra step inside the court. That is the crucial kind of footwork that he needs to engage in if he's going to hit the ball by Daniil Medvedev. He can't sit back and wait for the ball to come to him, or he's just not going to be able to generate enough offense. Um, so he didn't play great, but I think Medvedev can build on this. And uh, it was a, a very positive sign for him because this could have turned into a long kind of arduous battle and instead Medvedev gets through it um, with with plenty of energy plenty of gas left in the tank and I'm really looking forward to uh, what he might be able to do 
in the coming matches. That'll do it. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Gil Gross for coverage throughout the tournament. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.